up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 113. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going. I have been in school training all week, and I am excited to talk about something that isn't school. <laughs> but that's uh, that's the life of a teacher, I guess. You, you teachers out there, you know what I'm talking about. I guess all works have training, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Well, anyway, uh, training or talking about magic? Easy pick. Yeah. Well, speaking of this week, we are kind of giving a training <laughs> in that oh, we're going, more training. <laughs> we're going back to basics once again to talk about breaking symmetry. But before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping, if you're not already in the discord, check that out. If you're interested in chatting anything about magic and hey, we're in the spoiler season. So uh, lots of things to talk about, lots of new cards, lots of new mechanics. And uh, we got also sort of the spoilers for the upcoming sets for the year of 2023. So lots to talk about. So jump in the Discord if you're not already in there. The link is on our Twitter page as well as in our episode description. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We are super grateful for you. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent right to your door, signed by us, and usually altered in some way by Ben to make them funny. All right. Under a crack and draft type thing. This is a special one. It comes right out of the draft shaft cube, which if you didn't hear, we just revamped. Check out last week's episode for more details on that. Let's walk through it. All right. First up, we've got ranging rafters. This is the uh, an enraged card. When it gets dealt damage, you can go get a basic comes in tapped. Pretty solid in the enraged deck, and it's good if you're just in a creature matchup, but it is a three mana two, three, so probably not where you want to start. Next up, we do have a card that I think is a first pick. Now, we've never drafted this with people before, so it's hard to say exactly what are and aren't first picks as far as power level. But this is an archetype definer. This is Omnispell Adept. This is part of our free casting archetype. This is a guy that lets you uh, pay three, and you can cast an instant of sorcery from your hand without paying its mana cost from your hand. Uh, it's also like a five mana, three, four. So this one, I mean, there's like 10 drop instants and sorceries in the set. In all colors, we made sure of that. So Omni Spell Depth, uh, pretty high pick, I think. Certainly higher than Ranging Raptors. I would say it's probably one of the first pickable cards in the set for sure. Um, as you said, it's kind of an, an archetype or a vector definer, and it's it's certainly going to point us in a specific direction. And uh, when we talk about cubes in general, especially something like the Vintage Cube, where, where power level, you can kind of make a deck out of anything we tend to talk about picking cards that are irreplaceable rather than cards that like are cool but can functionally be replaced by some other card. Omnispell Adept in this deck is probably one of the most defined cards that's irreplaceable. Like there are a few other cards that let you free cast things, but Omnispell Adept is is like the one that we made sure to make it into the cube. So if you're trying to get into that deck, you want this card. But let's see what else is in the pack. Temple of Triumph. That's the red-white scry land. Lands are high picks, but red-white doesn't necessarily need to you know, fight for duels. Lunar Frenzy is the next one. This is from not too many sets ago, but that's the X and a red pump spell. It gives a thing XO, trample, first strike. Very good pump spell, but actually not really what you want to start with. I mean, you're not really <laughs> trying to target your own stuff quite yet. Although red, green, and white do all care about targeting your own stuff. Uh, next up, actually, another archetype definer, Archfiend of Ifnir. That's three black black for the 5-4 flying. And whenever you cycle or discard a card, put a minus one minus one counter on all of your opponent's stuff. And you can cycle it away for two. Uh, this is a massive five mana, five power flyer. So this just ends games fast. But I mean, that, that cycling thing and discarding cards, there's a lot of looters in this set in many colors, even colorless. And, uh, you know, that, that bonus of just shrinking all your opponent's stuff is brutal. 
Yeah, I actually, I, I do think Archfiendish Ifnir is going to be one of the stronger cards in the cube, full stop. I'm definitely going to take it over Omnispell Adept here. I just think yeah. in, in a with a blank slate and nothing, like no knowledge about who's drafting what yet, a five mana, you know, three, four flyer that does, like has upside, we can cycle it away if we need to. It's going to fit into, well, pretty much any deck that's playing black is going to be able to discard cards in this cube. So I just think it has it has the highest floor and one of the higher ceilings as well. Mm -hmm. yeah and like you said kind of similar to vintage cube where you get to pick what you want to do because the power level is kind of flat across the board excluding things like power um i wouldn't fault someone for taking omni spell adept over the archfiend if they just feel like playing free casting or if you feel like playing looting and reanimator um you know you have that option next up gateway plaza it's a gate it's a land we're not taking that first pick uh nighthawk scavenger kind of like vampire nighthawk but uh it's got you know, more power. This is a bit of a reference to the graveyard because this cares about the number of uh, card types and graveyards. Um, it's good. It, good in the life gain deck because it's a repeatable life gain source. Good in the graveyard decks because it gets bigger as you self-mill and mill your opponent and everything, but uh, just not a first pickable card. Now, uh, here's a little bit of an offshoot. We got Palaka Worm. This is a massive green top end. You can ramp into it. You could try to flash it in somehow. You could reanimate it. Uh, if you want to get a little nuts you could blink it <laughs> which uh that, that'd be good because it, it says on it it's it's four green 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 for a seven seven trample and when it etvs you gain seven life when it dies you draw a card so teleportation circle plus palaka worm just gain seven life return right that's a good way to not lose games and if your opponent ever manages to stop it you get a you just get to draw a card Speaking of reanimating big threats, uh, Titanoth Rex is a good one for that because it actually puts itself in the graveyard. That's nine mana for an 11-11 trample, but it has cycling for one of the green. When you cycle it, you put a, a trample counter on one of your creatures, but that doesn't matter. You just do it on turn two. Turn three, you play like a ramp spell or a rock or something. Turn four, you play a five mana reanimation spell and boom, 11-11 trample. What are you going to do about opponent? Yep, that'll close things out pretty quickly. Next up, a much less exciting pick, but probably a higher pick than a lot of these cards. Uh, Sky Scanner, three generic mana for a Thopter. It's colorless. It's a 1-1 one, one flyer. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Yeah, happy to put this in just about any deck that can play them. If you were in the blink deck, you're just getting away with things. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, it's it's a nice little artifact that replaces itself. Mm, it's a good body. A 1-1 one, one flyer is worth so much more than a 1-1 one, one ground creature because there's so many like 2-1 flyers or 1-1 or one, one flyers, sometimes even 3-1 flyers. Uh, that this ends up being a, a more valuable body than it's worth. Just a clean two-for-one in a lot of cases. All right, well, no pack would be complete without a random butts card. We've got Huatli, the Sun's Heart, in here. Uh, that's the three-mana Planeswalker from War of the Spark with, what, like seven loyalty? You can minus three or to gain life equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control, and your creatures deal combat damage equal to their toughness instead of their power as her static effect. Look, you could first pick this if you really want to. <laughs> it's... It's actually not a bad idea in this cube. There are so many creatures in this cube that have more toughness than power. And there are only so many cards in the cube that enable you to do the deal combat damage equal to toughness instead of power thing. Mm. And this is a 540 card cube. So we may not see any more of them. It may yeah. just so happen that this was the only one that got opened in this sort of section. of the And uh, cube. funny enough, because Huatli is green, white hybrid, this means she could go into blue, white butts or black, green butts, which is honestly some pretty good flexibility because both of those decks are viable thanks to either high alert or uh, the lumber knot. Yeah, you do need a little bit more to make the deck work, but you, you do kind of need her. 
So if you wanted to play that deck, I would say Hwatli and the Butts deck is a little more catch-all than something like Omnispell Adept is for the Freecast deck. Like the Freecast deck still needs to be open if you take the Omnispell Adept. All you need to do with Hwatli is pick up cards that have higher toughness and power and you're you're pretty much good to go. Yeah. Next up, Flameblade Adept. It's a red for a 1-2 Menace. And whenever you cycle or discard a card, it gets plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. Uh, nod towards the uh, the discarding deck, and and this is honestly just a pretty solid one drop for any red aggressive deck. I mean, it's it's a one mana one two menace, you know, like that that wears counters pretty well. Uh, good for pump spells, you can blow out your opponent because they have to double block it. It's it's really hard to get two creatures on the ground that can block something like this, and then if they're blocking this, your two drop or your three drop might be getting it instead. Yeah, I'm still eyeing up a mono red madness deck. And I think Flame yeah. Blade Adept is like a linchpin in that one. So I think there's room for this in, in a really aggressive uh, archetype. Not so sure I want to first pick it, though. Yeah, I don't think so. Next up, we have Smelt Ward Minotaur. That's two and a red for a 2-3. Uh, and whenever you cast an insert sorcery spell, target creature and opponent control can't block this turn. Now, this is a little bit of a weird card because, you know, you might be thinking, oh, which decks can cast the most instants and sorceries? Obviously, blue-red, right? Not really. Um... Kind of more of a red-white top end, weirdly enough. This is almost like a heroic deck top end where uh, you want to have like a, a bunch of rapid-fire instants and sorceries like the, the cantrip type things like uh, God's Willing or, or uh, Justice Strike or things like that. And then all of a sudden your opponent can't block with any of their stuff and you swing in for a million damage. Yeah, a little bit of a trap here. I kind of like this card being slotted in as one that feels like it's supposed to go in one direction. It's actually supposed to go in another. Mm-hmm. If you put this in a blue-red deck, I mean, those are just trying to cast one big instant and sorcery on like turn six. And then you're just not getting full value out of this. I know we're giving away a lot of spoilers for our own cube, but like, whatever. Our last two cards are both temples. We got Temple of the Sea and Temple of Milady, the blue-black <laughs> temple and the black-green temple. So not taking either of those first pick, although, you know, having a green duel is pretty useful in this set yeah i think you could say that about every set ever made yeah yeah i i don't know that this is a cube where i feel a need to first pick a duel yeah i don't think so i think you you would rather know where you're headed before you try to start picking those up but i don't think i'd fault you for taking one i think i'm probably on the arch fiend the adept or the palaka worm maybe the sky scanner if i'm feeling like a coward <laughs> interesting i'm on i'm on ifnir uh, Archfiend of Ifnir is my my pick yeah. here, but then I'm I'm considering the Omni Spell Adept and also the the Flame Blade Adept. Mm, yeah. All right. On to our Fairy Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where we share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, what's going on? All right. Well, uh, like I mentioned, I've been training for a new school. I swapped jobs over the summer. I'm still a teacher, teaching at a different place though. And this school is so much better than my <laughs> last one. Uh, it's awesome. almost absurd that they have been. Uh, just really kind and compassionate. The administrators all know what they're doing. Like today, uh, in one of my trainings, some of the administrators, they opened by talking about ways that they had like corrected their own implicit biases and how correcting it had improved the lives of their students. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like this a good is, way to start off with the new They day. actually care here. They actually care about what they're saying and, and how people feel around them. So uh, that was pretty sweet. Also, they, they, they keep getting us good food, which, you know, that never hurts. Um, new set coming out. It's about to be spoiler season. Our break is over. Good thing we got the cube pretty much wrapped up while, while that was happening. And, and we, we had a nice lull from the content onslaught. But, you know, we're getting ready to get back into it. And the magic story has been pretty entertaining. Uh, I kept up with the, with the main one as they released it over the last few days. It's now finished. And uh, we won't spoil anything right here for anyone. But, you know, catch up. There's a 
there's some messy parts. Maybe we can wait until a uh, flavor town to talk about the specifics. But, you know, as someone who's not super familiar with the old lore, you know, it's, it's still pretty entertaining. My tip this week, um, I haven't been sleeping enough, <laughs> which which is always annoying. I'm, I'm kind of exhausted right now. And to be honest, after recording, I'm probably going to go lay back down. But got to gotta start going to sleep early, get back in the, the school mode. And uh, another tip Arena Cube. They massacred my boy, as they say. I have empirical evidence that I am decent at Arena Cube. I, I won the decathlon thing. Uh, I've got the Jace avatar to prove it. And I don't know, this iteration, I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah, well, you also like average, what, 60-something percent win rate in that in, in Arena Cube <laughs> over multiple iterations of the cube, so... Yeah, it was closer to 70 for a while, but uh, yeah. th- this, one, this iteration, it's closer to 30. <laughs> nice. So for me this week, uh, my Teferi is that in general, I've been feeling pretty good. There was a little lull this summer where I was, I was in the dumps mostly emotionally, but also kind of physically as well. Like I just wasn't feeling great. I didn't feel like I was getting, I was like going from work and just right after work, just like watching TV all night and like not getting anything done with my life and, and just kind of vegging out. Yeah. Uh, I've been feeling pretty good since like I mentioned last week, like I needed that vacation much more than I thought I did. And I've been, been riding that high for still, like I'm still riding that high. I've been feeling pretty so, good. It's good to hear about life in general. That said, my Tybalt is that I have a vacation coming up. Oh, <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> what uh, are you well, going to well, do? Hear me out. Hear me out. So a few months ago, I booked this time off from work. So I have the week of Labor Day off, but I don't know what I'm doing with the time yet. It's just an empty blank hmm. slate and I don't know what I'm doing with it. And I'm starting to get like decision fatigue, trying to figure out what to do at the time. And it's only like two weeks away. So I, I don't have a ton of time to plan an actual trip, but I'll figure yeah. it out. You know, it was just, you know, drive somewhere fun, pick a direction, go until you hit something interesting. Yeah. The, the like planner in me <laughs> is like <laughs> screaming at hearing you say that, but yeah, yeah, it's fair. All right. On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Gus in the discord and the question, this is an interesting one. I'm really excited to talk about this. You enter on an elevator with Gavin Verhey. And if you don't know Gavin Verhey, he is the, I mean, he's, he's a big person at Wizards in terms of like product development, but he does a ton with commander products specifically. So you enter on an elevator with Gavin and you, quick, give him your elevator pitch, a new magic product you want to have with uh, Wizards make. Wow. So I, I'm a fan of the weird stuff, <laughs> you know, like remember that one secret layer a while back that had like a peel away card on it and like it was yeah. all kind of avant-garde art. I was a big fan of that. I never thought I'd say this. I would probably request a few secret layers. I'd probably like try to convince him because at this point I see them as are they occasionally mispriced? Yes. Uh, otherwise, are they great vehicles to get cool printings of interesting cards into circulation? Definitely. And it's cool that like there's cards that I just don't recognize now because I guess there's, there's an influx, but it kind of takes you back to that, uh, that, that childlike wonder where you go, Oh, like that, that, what is that card? I've never seen anything like that before. That's a magic card. Like anything that makes you think that is cool. I would probably pitch. I've, I've had this idea in my head for, for a while. I think an adventure time secret layer would be really cool. Uh, that's a very mythological inspired game. And there's a lot of cool swords you could do with that. I'm thinking like sword of fire and ice or, or maybe sort of, um, ah, uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking like maybe Finn's leaf sword somehow as, as the sword of the animist uh, could be cool. Other things like that. Another one that I'd love to see is an over the garden wall secret layer. And I know in Discord we had some some good talks about over the garden wall. I know some some fans out there might agree. I tried to make a deck themed around over the garden wall once. It had tireless trackers in it as Greg and Wirt. It had the Gitrog monster as Jason Funderburker. It had a bunch of cool stuff, a bunch of Innistrad spirits. 
I think it would slot right into it, especially for like a Halloween themed release. Now, as far as like a product, like a unique thing that hadn't been done before. I don't know. Do you have an idea for that? Uh, no, I mean, my initial thought was literally like my elevator pitch, like 10 second elevator pitch. I'd get in the elevator. I'd nonchalantly just be like, Hey, uh, remember that arch enemy thing? <laughs> yeah. Do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'd love to see some more. Or, or rather not even just arch enemy, but plane chase. Like, yeah, I really yeah. want, and, and we, some folks in the discord were talking about this over the last week or so too. I would love to see a more collaborative commander experience, like something where you're not four people playing against each other. You're four people playing with each other to do something else. Mm. And I've seen some folks, I think star city games, the, the commander versus series on star city games did one of these, did something similar for, for a Halloween episode, like ages ago where the four of them were battling a zombie horde and the zombie horde was represented by like a fifth, I'll say player, but there was nobody controlling the deck. Hmm. And it was a deck of, I don't know, like 200 cards and every few turns they just flipped over the top card and it was played and it, it the whole deck was zombies. Cool. So the horde would grow and, and they would have to fight. It ended up being way unbalanced in that the <laughs> horde deck was just way, way stronger than anybody else was able to keep up with. Oh, really? Yeah. Whatever rulings they used and such made it so that like it, it just snowballed. It was like, it's been a while since I've watched this episode, but it was something close to like exponentially scaling the number of zombies that the thing had. So like, I was thinking got you try, really close, really. You fast. could try to fight against a, a Lily last hope emblem, which is like a, at the beginning of each end step, you get uh, X plus two zombies where X is the number of zombies you control. Like even just like no, no deck, no like conscious decisions, like you and three friends fight against that emblem and see how like many turn cycles you could last. Maybe that'd be yeah, kind of I fun. mean, that was, it was, it was essentially like, you know, like call of duty's Nazi zombies where you just like yeah, go until yeah. you get killed. That, yeah. That's essentially what they were doing. But I would love a more collaborative experience. We, we've seen Wayfarer was an attempt by... Um, that's right, yeah. I, I can't actually remember the name of the individual who was working on that, but they did our art for the show. Was it actually. Ashton? Was it? Yes, yes, it was Ashton, yeah. Um, and that looked really promising, but I think it had too many custom components that like people needed to print out and all that kind of stuff. Like mm. if Wizards was going to make a product, then you could just buy the thing and you wouldn't have to worry about like printing all these weird extra cards and such. But yeah, that's true. Uh, something like Almost that. Almost like cool. um, if you could play D&D as your commander, as a character like that, that would be. Yeah, that fun. would actually be really like cool. Some way to. Element. Yeah, some way to mix. Yeah, D&D's role play elements with magic cards. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. All right, on to our main topic. And as we mentioned before, it's time to take a take a little bit of a symmetry symmetry break. We are going back to basics. Going to continue this series as a series we've been doing basically since the beginning of the show. And uh, we're just going to take a look at something that's we always pick a relatively straightforward topic and kind of dive deep into it to get something that's typically something that stumps newer players and something that isn't necessarily something that that newer players think about, but also gets experienced players really thinking in a different way. So this week we're talking about symmetrical effects. I've been wanting to do a show on symmetry for ages now because it's it's a fun idea. And I think it's it's one that usually trips people up. It's it's something that people will read a card and say, oh, this is bad automatically or say, oh, this is good automatically and not think any deeper because they recognize the effect. They see it not really as it could be. They just see it as for what it is. Uh, and they don't think about ways to play the symmetry to their side. So first of all, what even is symmetry when I talk about this? In math, at least, it's like when a, a shape is identical after you flip it or slide it or turn it in, in a different way. Uh, magic players, we don't slide very often, but um, we do flip cards pretty often and we turn land sideways. So I, I think we're already half or two thirds of the way there, right? 
Yeah, it sounds like you get in the red zone all the time. You're turning those cards sideways. Well, a symmetrical magic card is um, any effect or, or card that seems to give both you and your opponent the same thing. And this is present in pretty much every color. Uh, this isn't just like you give your opponent something like with swords to plowshares, path to exile, assassin's trophy, giving them land or giving them life. It's not like you get something and your opponent gets something. It's, it's not even like Beast Within where you destroy a creature and they get a thing, which caused quite a bit of Twitter discourse this past week. But more on that later. Um, it, we mean something that has the exact same effect for both or all players. So some different kinds of symmetry could be activated abilities, um, like Wishclaw Talisman is a tutor, or Ember Swallower, which uh, lets uh, both players sacrifice three lands. I guess makes both players sacrifice three lands. It makes you do it. Uh, they can be Wraths. Wraths are symmetrical because they blow up everything. Uh, languish, Planar Cleansing, uh, giving minus four, minus four to everything, or destroying all non-land permanents. That hits both you and your opponent. They can be triggered abilities, like Eidolon of the Great Revel, which... Uh, pings any player that casts a spell with mana value three or less or something like braids conjurer adept uh, i can just read her card she's wacky she says at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player may put an artifact creature or land from their hand onto the battlefield it could be card advantage like howling mine and farsight adept these are two kind of kind of inspirations for this uh, this show howling mine is a pretty well-known effect uh, it's two mana for an artifact and it says at the beginning of each player's draw step if howling mine is untapped that player draws an additional card farsight adept is one of my all-time favorites it's two and a white for a three three when it etbs you and target opponent each draw a card and last but not least uh it could be a mana doubler like dictate of karametra or high tide dictate of karametra says whenever a player would tap a land they add an additional type High Tide says until in a turn, whenever a player would tap an island, they add an additional blue. And yeah, I know some of these are a little more specific, like card advantage. Those are uh, triggered abilities. The mana doublers are, are abilities or I guess replacement effects. But I just figured it's, it's easiest to break it down into things like activated abilities, triggered abilities, and then those specific subsets of them, such as uh, card advantage ones or potentially mana doublers if there's an activated ability that does that. Right. So why bother playing cards like this? Some of them seem pretty good. You know, maybe you get to double your mana. Maybe you get to draw extra cards. But then you realize your opponent's also doing that, and then they start to seem kind of bad. So I, and I, and I think we both had this experience with Eidolon of the Great Rebel. I was a big burn yeah. player. Everybody in, that played burn in modern played Eidolon of the Great Rebel, and I, was, I could not understand why you'd put a card in your deck that's going to deal two to you every time you cast the card. It seems much worse yep. for you than it does for your opponent. But if you build your deck properly, you can kind of break that symmetry and make yourself gain more value from it than your opponent, even though the card affects you both the same. Mm -hmm. For example, with Mono Red Burn, you're typically throwing more damage at your opponent than you're taking from the Eidolon. And any incidental damage that they're going to also take from the Eidolon, well, that just helps you kill them faster. So the idea is, yeah, the Eidolon's pinging you for two, but I'm throwing so much damage in my opponent's face that I'm going to kill them far before the Eidolon kills me. Mm -hmm. Ping yourself for two, but bolt them for three, right? Yeah, yeah. You still end up ahead on that exchange. So let's talk about the different ways to actually break these symmetries because these are archetypal symmetries. Like these are ones that we're going to see. Uh, we've seen uh, obviously multiple instances of each of these and we're going to keep seeing them. Maybe we even have one in Dom United. Uh, I guess we'll find out when spoilers start coming out. So let's start about activated abilities. It's something specifically for like Wishclaw Talisman or Ember Swallower were our two references. So you get to control when you activate them. So that by itself is already, you know, putting it within your control. Like you get to make sure that you activate these at an opportune time. 
and because you get to pick when you activate them, you're already kind of breaking the symmetry to start with. So let's let's uh, consider these two. You can kind of lock your opponent out of the game in different ways with them. And I think that may- means these are some of the, the better types of, uh, of symmetri- symmetrical cards. Uh, for example, with Ember Swallower, you break the symmetry by having a huge beast on the board after having both players sacked three lands. And yeah, sure, I mean, you need seven mana to activate it. But if that puts both players down to four lands and then all of a sudden you've got a, a seven, eight, it's, that's, a, that's a big threat. And maybe their removal spell costs five if it's unlimited. And then, you know, maybe they don't top like that land for a bit. And you've broken the symmetry by locking both yourself and your opponent out of the game. Who cares if neither player can cast any of their spells? You have the bigger board presence. Yeah, and this is something we see as a big complaint. The flip side of this, I should say, is something we see as a big complaint for symmetrical effects in Limited pretty often. Cards like Wish Wish Claw Talisman and Farsight Adept got a lot of flack when they were printed in Limited because typically these types of effects, you spend the mana on it, and then your opponent benefits before you do because the turn passes and they get to do the thing before you get to do the thing. Mm. In this case, the Ember Swallower kind of gets around that because, yes, you do have to put the mana into it, but you're left with something big on the board and your opponent's not. And they're left without the ability to make use of that. With Wishclaw Talisman, this one breaks symmetry in a very, I guess, contextual way. And all of these cards, you have to look at them in context. I mean, cards that have a symmetrical effect like this, like an activated ability, are usually pretty unique. This one, you attempt to break the symmetry by just never letting your opponent untap. The wish called Talisman is you, you activate it, tap it, and you get to search the library for a card. But then your opponent gets control of it, and they get to do the same thing on, on their turn. Just never let them have another turn, right? Just like use it on your turn. Go get your game-ending combo piece or whatever. And, and this one, you know, that's breaking the symmetry. You never let them have the other turn. And I guess this card isn't technically symmetrical because you get it to use it twice and your opponent gets to use it once. So maybe you go get a thought seize with the first one. <laughs> and then uh, that's kind of stupid though. Uh, your opponent does get to untap with it first. So really you do want to win the turn you play it. Right. So the next kind of segment we have is Wraths. These are cards that just blow up the board in some way, shape, or form. They do tend to take, I mean, for the most part, they tend to just be destroy creatures. That's the end result, whether they're something like Languish, where you're getting minus four, minus four, or something like Planar Cleansing or Wrath of God, where they just destroy all creatures. Most of them do have the net result of all the creatures on the board going away. Some of them do have other abilities. Cards like Merciless Eviction, which let you kind of pick, you know, they'll let you pick to destroy either enchantments or artifacts or creatures or whatever. But typically, when you're talking about a, a, a typical wrath, one way to break the synergy is the symmetry is just to not play any creatures. This is why yeah. a card like Supreme Verdict is so good in blue white control decks because blue white control decks don't play creatures. So when you while you're busy spending your mana blank building up your board, I pay four mana and destroy your entire life's work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if a blue white control deck played creatures, it would be bad, right? Because then then you you are letting the card have its symmetrical effect. If you play two drop, they play two drop. They play three drop, you play three drop, and then you wipe the board. I mean, you had your symmetrical effect, and that's what the card does. That's why sometimes Wraths are or aren't good in certain limited decks. I mean, if you're playing like a mid-range deck, typically you do want the Wrath in your limited deck as kind of like a a, a fail-safe. If your opponent gets off too fast and maybe you missed some land drops for, for a start, it can be good to come back from. But there's sometimes when you're playing a Wrath limited where... You just get ahead on board and you're like, I don't actually need this, even though you draw it. And it just kind of rots in your hand while you win the game with creatures. 
And um, it, that's another, is it also the exact reason why a card like Settle the Wreckage feels so unfair? Because you're, it's an effect that you're used to being symmetrical that isn't symmetrical and uh, lets you kind of unfairly build up like your side of the board while your opponent just gets wrathed. Yeah, one-sided rads are, are some of the more unfair feeling cards in the game. I've been having a lot of fun playing uh, Explorer recently. Although I have run into the issue of if a blue-white deck has up four mana and two mana is white... They could either have Settle the Wreckage, which pressures you to attack with less things, or they could have the Wandering Emperor, which pressures you to attack with more things. The Emperor would kill your, let's say your opponent's at five, right? Uh, if you full swing with with all your huge board of, I've been playing mono green, you full swing with your huge board of green stuff, they settle you and you go, okay, I lose. Or you attack with just your one creature and they go, Wandering Emperor, exile it, and you go, okay. <laughs> they untap and wrath and then make a token, you're like, okay, I lose. Anyway. They did um, print a Supreme Verdict in, in Explorer too, so ugh, they could yeah, have that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I do love that green deck though, I'm having a lot of fun. There's eight one-drop elves in it now, of course I gotta play that. Bringing back the old, uh, the old favorite. Anyway, um, we mentioned Languish. This is a fun way you can break the synergy on Languish. It gives all creatures minus four, minus four. Siege Rhino has five toughness. There were some mid-range decks in, in Abzan mid-range times that would play Languish in the sideboard because it just didn't kill your Rhinos. And sure, it didn't kill your opponent's Rhinos either, but you know, then your Rhinos are just smacking into each other and, and it was whatever. But you could also break, you can break the symmetry by playing indestructible threats or uh, creatures that recur from the graveyard, like I don't know, Cauldron Familiar or something. And if you are playing an effect like Planar Cleansing, something that's going to destroy all non-land permanents, you probably don't want to, you know, as a control deck, play too many Planeswalkers or artifacts or enchantments uh, because then you're kind of fighting against your own vector, right? You're no longer playing into breaking that symmetry. And it's a big reason why white-based control decks don't play cards like Planar Cleansing because those decks typically don't... They, they avoid using creatures in favor of Planeswalkers and artifacts and enchantments. And yeah. when you play a card like Planar Cleansing, you're effectively eliminating the upside of playing rats in the deck. Yeah, it takes a weird control deck to, to just be strictly instants and sorceries. Although those do exist, but um, you know, white can leverage stuff like Teferis and O-Rings and, and Banishing Lights and that type of thing. So next up, triggered abilities. This one often comes down to deck building, similar to uh, the activated abilities, but uh, a little less gameplay oriented, a little more deck building oriented. So you can build a deck to maximize the value you get from one of these repeated abilities, because these often happen every turn or in an end step or something like that. So um, our examples give you some hints. If you put an Eidolon of the Great Revel in a control deck, uh, you're just going to die to it <laughs> because like all of your all of your spells. Yeah, you can play it on two and then bolt your opponent's thing and then, uh, I don't know, Doomblade your opponent's thing and you just end up taking a million damage off of it. That's horrible at all. It doesn't align with your vector of winning in the long game. You'll just die to playing your own removal spells and other things. However, if you consider something like Sulfuric Vortex, which is Tuna Red Enchantment, uh, each upkeep, it deals two damage to that player. Just, you know. Fun, symmetrical effect. If you consider that Sulfuric Vortex is going to deal about 10 damage to each player over the course of the game, it's kind of like both players started at 10. And then you only have to find 10 points worth of burn to point at your opponent's face. Just like the Eidolon of the Great Revel that Zach was mentioning earlier. Then you can just, you know, sure, you're taking two, but your opponent takes three every time. And if you're at five, when you get them to zero, then you still win. Now, Braids is a little bit weird. Most players will have artifacts, creatures, or lands. So, I don't know, listener, what do you think? How could you break the symmetry? I'd probably go with, like, mana war effects, uh, things to bounce uh, at the the creatures that your opponent is putting in or, 
I don't know, ways to punish them for getting too far ahead or extending on board. Something like a balance effect where you let them dump all their big threats and then you balance them all away and have them all sacrificed. Or maybe other two-for-one effects to, to make sure you stay on pace and, and eventually outpace your opponent's ETBs. Yeah, again, when you mentioned these come down to deck building, if you're playing a card like Braids, you often want to think like, what's the worst thing my opponent could play for my deck? Not necessarily just what's the worst card they could play full stop, but what's the card that my deck can't deal with as as well? Um, and, and kind of think about shoring up your deck as you're building it to fight those sorts of threats. Next, uh, next little category here, card advantage. Now, this one has been the source of countless arguments and countless debates and all sorts of things, particularly inspired by Farsight Adept. I've had many a debate with people about uh, why they think I'm nuts for putting as many of these as I can get in my Zendikar Rising white aggressive decks. And uh, I do it anyway, and it usually works out. So this is like a subset of activated and triggered abilities. Um, a, a quick question for the, for the listener. What kind of cards benefit the most from drawing lots of cards? Pause. Think about it. What kind of deck wants to draw cards the most? Now, this might not be the answer you're expecting, but I would say a deck that can use them quickly and cheaply. Uh, A deck with a lot of one-drops, even. Cheap cards pair well with card draw. Expensive cards don't necessarily pair well with card draw, unless you're, say, digging for a very particular card like a Wrath. Um, Otherwise, you want to be able to dump your hand and then get more cards to redump. So cheap cards pair well with card draw. A mid-range deck can't make the same use out of a Howling Mine as an aggro deck would want to. Uh, and this is actually why I love playing Farset Adept in Zenicar Rising. It fits really well with the white aggressive decks because it cares about dumping your hand, going one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop, and then right about when you usually start to run out of gas, the Farset Adept gives you that extra card, and that can help draw you into other cards and chain Farset Adepts. It gives your opponent the card too, but maybe they went two drop, you know, mine rod effect, four drop. Like you're hitting the ground so much faster and more efficiently than they are uh, that it didn't matter how many cards your opponent drew. Uh, and now, if your opponent played like a divination or something like that, that's awesome. You want that. That's essentially like time walking themselves. It does nothing because your plan is to not let them get to maximize the value from all those cards they're drawing. Your plan is to kill them before they get to, you know, cast all their spells. So, if you're playing a, a cheap, low-to-the-ground, aggressive deck that doesn't let your opponent cast all their spells anyway, it doesn't matter if you draw them some cards. After all, dead is dead with, with zero cards in hand or, or five cards in hand. So, I mean, you just beat them over the head with bug catchers and 3-3 and three, three farsit adepts, and, you know, they can draw the cards they want. Yeah, I think this is it's also kind of telling. Think about, like, the last time you saw a draw a card printed on, like, a two-drop or a one-drop. You just don't see it. Because mm. those cards would be absolutely broken. Yeah, I mean, what's the one Flash Spirit, Spectral Sailor? Fantastic card, right? Yeah. Yeah, good, good early, good late. And and the way that we're breaking symmetry here is in timing almost. It's like breaking symmetry by tempo um, because you are maximizing your efficiency with those cards more than your opponent can. Yeah, think about it this way. If you're just throwing resources at somebody who doesn't have the speed to use them up, Say you're like on a website, right? And you're like, you've got tons and tons of traffic going to a website, but the website's not built to handle all that traffic. Well, they're not going to be making any money from sales or something, right? Like if your site can only handle a thousand purchases per second and you're getting 10,000, you're missing out on 9,000 purchases because your site can't handle it. Yeah. Same is true for a, a magic deck that isn't built to handle card draw. If you're throwing cards at them and they just can't cast them all, like if you if you're giving them, I mean, I guess you're giving them selection. They can choose. Sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna mm. cast this instead of that this turn. But if all they have to work with is four mana, doesn't matter if you're giving them five cards because they're still only gonna play one of them. Yeah, their their best 
isn't going to be that much better than what they were going to do otherwise, right? Not early in the game when you're trying to capitalize on this stuff, right? Later in the game, yeah, you'll run into some problems. But early in the game where you're like, give me all the cards I can get because I'm playing my one drops and two drops, so I'm playing two, three cards a turn, then uh, they're going to die with a lot of cards in their hand. Yeah. Last but not least here is mana doublers. Now, this is probably the most suspicious of these categories. One of the, one of the categories that, that makes people the most say, wait a minute, that's just really bad, right? I don't want to do that. With mana doublers, you have to be careful with timing. Uh, so if you had to spend the mana on the doubler on your turn, for example, then you know, you're already down like three, four, five lands to these doublers. I think like Rights of Flourishing costs three. Dictate of Karametra costs five. I mean, then your opponent is going to get to untap. Sure, you doubled it, but, you know, you basically doubled your mana back to what you originally had at the start before you tapped out to play the mana doubler, right? Uh, This is actually why I used to play, like, Rites of Flourishing in my commander decks, but I cut it because I realized tapping out on turn three and then uh, my opponent's functionally untapping on turn six is is not actually a good thing to do. Yeah, it's actually interesting because mana doublers on the turn they're played do more than double your opponent's mana because you're not getting to capitalize on doubling your mana. You've already tapped your lands. Mm-hmm. So those lands are not getting doubled. So you're kind of giving them like, I don't know what that math turns out to be, but it's like almost like three times because you're yeah. losing out on mana. And so the mana swing, I should say, is is yeah. a lot bigger. So your opponents will get to make better use of these effects if you don't time it right. So you can time this right. For example, Dictative Karametra has flash. They thought of this. The joke is you're supposed to flash it at their end step, untap, and then you have 10 or 12 mana if you hit your land drop that term. Something like High Tide, it only costs one, which is really good. Uh, it is also an instant, which is pretty good. It means you can time it whether they're tapped out. Maybe you're trying to combo off on their end step if you're doing something wacky. But usually you'd high tide as like the first, uh, you'd high tide immediately on your turn, hopefully from like a mana rock or something, not an island you have to tap. If you're trying to you know, play some kind of storm deck or something. Uh, and usually you, you just hope your opponent doesn't have any untapped islands for that one. But as a whole, you really want to make sure that those mana doublers aren't going to give your opponent way more value than they give you. Usually that might mean having like a way to destroy it at the end of the turn or maybe like just winning the game that turn similar to Wishclaw Talisman. Break the symmetry by just never letting your opponent untap with it. You could make a big splash somehow, maybe wipe all of your opponent's lands or prevent anyone from casting spells the next turn. You can also kind of deck build for this one similar to the activated and triggered abilities. For example, mana doubling on turn four doesn't really do anything for an aggro deck. You know, like if, if, an, if an aggro deck already dumped their whole hand and they just have like a, like a two drop and a three drop left in their hand, they're going to play both of them on turn five anyway. Now they're just going to play both of them on turn five and have 10 extra mana floating. <laughs> like uh, it, it, you don't really help them that much, but that does help you if your deck is full of things like Eldrazi Titans. Now, there is one uh, sort of extra way that doesn't fall in any of the categories that we talked about that you can break symmetry and it's a little cheeky, I'll admit. But if you're just like better than your opponent, you're <laughs> going to break the symmetry of the cards because you can better use them than your opponent can. Uh-huh. This is one that I cited a lot with Farset Adepts. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was better at Zendikar Rising than most of the players that I was facing. I was able to use the cards in the set to better degrees timing my combat tricks better, just a deeper format knowledge 
Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn here, but toot, toot. I was pushing like 70% win rate or maybe more. Um, and, and that, that said, I adore. So when my, when I was playing in school with some students and with some other teachers, um, they, they were roasting me for playing this card because they were like, it draws your part of the card. What are you doing? And I was like, all right, man, you just watch it. <laughs> you just wait and see. Um, and I was drawing into combat tricks. I was drawing into kill spells that I was able to leverage and time and, and use better. If you have a deeper knowledge of the format uh, or of the cards themselves than your opponent, the cards are worth more in your hands. You know, a, a magic deck is worth more in the hands of a good player than it is in the hands of a beginner, right? And same with an individual card. So if you're drawing yourself cards at the expense of drawing your opponent cards, maybe you just know how to use them better, you know? Now that this one, you know, be careful with this. (laughs) Use use this power wisely. Like I said, it's a bit cheeky, kind of a joke, also not really a joke. (laughs) I'm not joking about this one at all. (laughs) I mean, you do actually see this come to fruition when you like, you know, you think about giving like a pro player, a crappy draft deck, and then you play yeah. against them with like an amazing draft deck, you're still probably going to lose. They're, they're yeah. just that much better than you. And those bad cards are going to do a lot more for them than your good cards are. If you don't know how to eat. Mm-hmm. break the symmetry by just, you know, being better at magic than your opponent. Great. So hopefully this kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into this sort of topic of breaking symmetry in a way that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Let us know in the Discord if uh, you enjoyed this kind of thing. We haven't done a Back to Basics in quite some time, so uh, let us know if these are things, types of episodes that you'd like to see more of. And uh, come chat about uh, Dominary United. We've got a lot of spoilers to start talking about, so jump in the Discord. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, we really appreciate all those who support us. And if you'd like to reach out to us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Thanks, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, few things to discuss. First of all, did you see the discourse surrounding the uh, the Reed Duke Channel Fireball Commander article that was going no. around? Did it oh, use boy. the did it use like the crap like the the fake leak for Shieldred? <laughs> no, no, that would have been funny though. Basically, Reed Duke was the one that was um, for some reason assigned to help prepare the whatnot giveaway winner to fight against Post Malone for the hundred thousand battle, which apparently the the challenger won. I don't know their name, but um. It's pretty cool playing Post Malone, winning $100,000 in a game of Magic. That, that's dope. But apparently Reed was there to coach the uh, the winner in case they, someone won that wasn't a Magic player, which I think this person may or may not have actually been like a, a devout Magic player. Either way, um, Reed decided to comment on his recent commander studies because he'd been brushing up on it. And he wrote an article on Channel Fireball. It's kind of just like a like a like an intro to Commander almost. Um, just a, a general overview. He started the article by saying, like, these are some things that I've noticed in Commander recently, uh, particularly at, just in his experience for helping prep. And he was like, I just want to share some observations. Now, the Commander community, I, I would say, wasn't the most receptive to Reed's suggestions. Um, so some of the, the some are pretty funny. Um, one that he suggested was using your one friendly mulligan to try to find soul ring. <laughs> Wait, so just, was, was the article a satirical piece? Like did he write no, it in no. jest that was like dead serious? No, he was dead serious. And he was like, uh, I mean, unless you have other ramp in hand, if you have no ramp, it's like honestly worth trying to mulligan to yeah. find ramp. And he said, if you like op- have your opening hand and you have no ramp in it, mulligan, hope to open with a soul ring. Like that's sure. good. Now, Another uh, another comment he made was that he 
I think the exact quote he said is he's allergic to giving his opponents free things um, like cards such as Assassin's Trophy. Or I guess he might not agree with all my points about breaking symmetry here. He might not like far set adapts. I don't know. Maybe he would. But anyway, he uh, he said he is not a big fan of Beast Within, a pretty format defining spell in Commander. Uh, that's two in a green instant. What is it? Destroy target non-creature permanent, if I remember? Or uh, Double check me on that. Yeah, I thought Beast Within did hit creatures, but I'm checking. It might just be destroy target permanent, and then its yeah, opponent permanent. gets... Yeah, destroy target permanent, its opponent gets a 3-3 Beast. Um, now, this, is, this has been like a staple of Commander for ages. And Reed basically said, cut it. <laughs> because uh, you're giving your opponent a body. And there were a whole lot of quote tweets and replies that were just a little butthurt about, you know, a Magic Pro uh, high-roading in on, on the casual commander scene and being like, hey, everyone, <laughs> like, this card isn't actually that good. Uh, I'm on Reed's side here, 100% fully. I have cut Beast Within from pretty much every commander deck I have, and, like, 90% of my commander decks are green. So, um, except I, I tweeted this out. I don't cut it because it gives your opponent the token. I cut it because it costs three. Who's playing three mana removal? What are you people doing? <laughs> like, have you heard of swords? Have you heard of fatal push? Like, I don't know. Conditional stuff aside, uh, I, I think Reed's article is really good. I think it's like pretty much all just correct. And this is one of the best players alive saying that he's made a bunch of observations and sharing it. And the first knee jerk reaction was like, what are you talking about, man? Get out of here. Like, I don't think you should do that. That's magic. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if, if you find the channel Fireball thread, their Twitter page has been popping off kind of in defense of Reed's article. And it's been pretty funny to see. Um, if you if you want a bit of a laugh and, and some some nonsensical Twitter discourse, I recommend giving it a look. Anyway, before we bounce, um, today was spoiler day. I didn't get to watch the stream yet. I, I got back from school training and I hopped on to record. But um, Lily of the Veil is reprinted with some incredible work. Um, just, I mean, look at that Lily. Yeah. I have to say though, I better get an explanation as to why that mirror is showing the front of Liliana <laughs> and not the back of her. Oh, come on. I don't, I don't think I can get over that. I, <laughs> like, what's right. going on? All right. Funny enough. I, I just watched the movie us by, by Jordan Peele last night for the mm -hmm. first time. I'm on a bit of a Jordan Peele kick. Uh, I watched Nope like a few weeks ago. I mentioned on the show. Fantastic. I liked Us a lot as well. Not quite as good as Nope in my book, but uh, this is literally a scene from Us. It's like a girl in like a fun house and she goes up to a mirror and the, the, her reflection is facing away from her and then like turns around and it's like, oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, but, uh, that's fine. Like I, I've seen this. This is like a trope in horrors and such. Yeah, yeah. It has been. But give me an explanation. I want to know about that mirror. There better be an artifact uh, that represents it. Okay, well, here you go. You see that 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 woman up front? That's Liliana. And you see that reflection in the back? That's of the veil. I hate you. <laughs> it's done. Uh, anyway, Shieldred leak was fake. Can you believe it? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. This is the first fake leak we've had in probably ever. Like, it's been a long been time. Right. It's <laughs> very rare. Year, like, multiple years. They've been correct. This is yeah, the first that one that was happens. fake, and I kind of hope Watsy spoiled the fake one on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be pretty funny. Uh, anyway, Shildred is two black black for a 4-5 death touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two. Whenever opponent draws a card, they lose two. Yeah, I mean, it, it has the same 
uh, funny enough, anti-symmetrical effect that we've seen on the Praetors so far, like with Vorinclex um, and with Urabrask. Then and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what's the blue one? This is face Jingataxis too, uh, with with countering spells. Yeah, I mean, th- this is right in line. Um, four or five death touch, pretty big, and it's going to start draining a bunch. Is this is this just like a siege rhino? Is this yes. is this worse than siege rhino? It's monocolored. Yeah, but hear me out. It's got death touch. Okay, so let's let's think about this. You cast this, you pass the turn. Like you tap it on turn four, unlimited. You pass the turn. Your opponent untaps. They draw a card. They lose two immediately. Yeah. Um, I guess if you play this while your opponent's at two, or at even like that's, <laughs> okay, sure, that's pretty it's funny. It kills them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, or even at, at one, uh, or even at zero. Hey, I talk guess. about your symmetrical effects. Shieldred, Farsight Adept, boom. Four-point <laughs> four life swing. It's a combo with Farsight Adept. It, it's a perfect curve. Oh, man. Get, we get both of these guys into the cube. Um, I wanted to mention Defiler of Dreams because it's a Phyrexian Sphinx, and that seemed up your alley. Yes, indeed. I don't like that they... So it, it's a five-mana, four-three flyer at rare. Whenever you cast a blue permanent spell, draw a card. But then it also has this big body of text that says, as an additional cost to cast blue permanent spells, you may pay two life. Those spells cost blue less to cast. If you paid life this way, this effect reduces only the amount of blue mana you pay. So essentially... For your blue permanence, you give them Phyrexian blue mana. Yeah. I kind of wish they just did that. Like, why does it just need a whole block of text <laughs> Could to have explain simplified Phyrexian language. mana? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this Which tell, turns- I, I assume that means, and, and the problem, you know, I'm being extremely nitpicky. It was a tough day at work today. So I'm like <laughs> in, in, a, in a mindset at the moment, but Fair. like, I was I was just about to say, well, I guess they didn't put Phyrexian mana in this set, but they did <laughs> because because the the new Planeswalker, yeah, I'm not going to spoil, has Phyrexian mana in a, in the the mana cost. So like they already did, used it. Why would you? Uh, why know. why not keyword it? it? Wait, they did keyword it. They could say like uh, blue spells have completed or something like that, and like say that, and then maybe yeah. they maybe oh, reminder gosh. text it. Just, but, just blue spells are completed, period. Yeah, that works. Oh, um, man. Archangel of Wrath is two white-white for a rare 3-4 angel. It is kicker black or red with flying lifelink, and it says when it ETBs, if it was kicked, it deals two damage to any target. And then it also says when it ETBs, if it was kicked twice, it deals two damage to any target. So uh, potentially a six-mana ETB throw two damage to anywhere, um, it's also a three, four flying life. Four damage. Oh yeah. Four damage. I, I'm going to love this card in limited. I can just tell this goes in black, white or red, white or Mardu, like really cool design. And then this last one seems up your alley cause it's disgusting. So you can read it. <laughs> yeah. It's a one in a blue for impede momentum, a sorcery at common tap target creature, put three stun counters on it and scry one and stun counters say if a permanent with a stun counter would become untapped, remove one stun counter from it instead. So a kind of a way to lock down permanents longer term and keep track of them better than like detain would work. Um, and they work with proliferate, which isn't a mechanic in the set as far as we know, but that's cool. I, I'm, I'm for it. And one last thing before we go today, we got spoiled the entire, I guess next, what two Year. years worth of magic set. Um, so we've got Dom United brothers war, which makes a little bit more sense now that anyone that's read the full story knows what's going on with that. I, 
they're doing something pretty wacky with this one and I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, next up the, the winter set for 2023 Phyrexia just straight up called Phyrexia. So that's, uh, not looking good for, for our, uh, gatewatch friends next up in spring March of the machine with a very distinct, uh, Phyrexian O in of, and then something kind of weird. They mentioned in one of the things, there's like a, it's like a sequel set. I think it might be like a small set paired with the big set. They, yeah, um, they talked about it in the in the stream. I saw a clip of of Jimmy Wong giving the explanation for this. So the way that I understand it is they're going to do something similar to. I can't tell if March of the Machine: The Aftermath is going to be a full set or a subset, like a, mm-hmm. a smaller set. But I think they're doing what they did with Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow, where it's like two sets coming out within a couple, like a month or two of each other. Yeah, and March weird. of the Machine like is the last is the last set in the um what they're calling the phyrexian arc hmm. which starts with dominaria united and ends with march of the machine and then march of the machine the aftermath is like yeah just a little like epilogue to what ha- what how the story ends with march of the machine i guess honestly pretty exciting you know people love phyrexia i know you're a fan of the phyrexians and like that we're gonna get they, they didn't they didn't keyword completed for nothing. <laughs> we'll say that. That's true. Um, so we, we get an epilogue, March of the Machine Aftermath. Then fall 2023, we're going to go back to Eldraine. And I don't know, we're going to get war flashbacks of... I don't even want to think about it. Just, I don't know. Reprint Oko. It'd be really funny. And then after that, there's uh, the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Huh. The cave dinosaurs, I guess? Yeah, so in the, in the stream, they said... Um Wilds of Eldraine is basically getting away from the castles and knights and all that stuff and going deep into the, the wilderness and getting more. I'm sure we're going to get a Hansel and Gretel. I'm sure we're going to get. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, they, they spoiled the art for like a Snow White looking character. Interesting. Um, so I got to watch the stream. They're going to do like different, um, different side of fairy tales. Um, and then Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Yeah, they they said some similar things, like a little bit more description for it, but I honestly don't remember what it was. I think it it's basically like yeah, caverns, and then Jimmy Wong literally at the end was like, and there might be some dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess um, some more sort of treasure hunting kind of vibe with. Uh,